Welcome to Health System CIO's Partner Perspective Interview Series. I'm Anthony Guerra, founder and editor-in-chief. Today we're talking with Brian Selfridge, partner with Metatology Services, about the security risks health systems are facing from third-party vendors and how they can work to mitigate those risks. Brian, thanks for joining me today. Sure. Thanks so much for having me. All right, great. Let's start off with a little bit about your organization and your role there. Sure thing. So I'm, I'm going to start out with a confusing note. So I'm actually a partner and one of the owners of two companies, Metatology Services, which you mentioned, and another company called Coral Technologies. Both organizations provide cybersecurity services and technology solutions exclusively for healthcare. So um, we work with hundreds of healthcare providers, um, payers, business associates across the country. And we also do some work with the federal government uh, as the HIPAA expert witness firm for the Office for Civil Rights. Um, so I mentioned the two companies, Metatology is more your traditional consulting firm, security risk assessment, certifications, pen tests, those types of things. Coral, on the other hand, um, is focused specifically on delivering third-party vendor risk solutions for healthcare. So in other words, we manage and deliver third-party vendor risk programs for healthcare companies. And I mentioned Coral sort of at that level of detail because I think our conversation today is going to be focused on supply chain risk, third-party risk, and that's all we do day in and day out at Coral. So I wanted to mention that specifically. And just my personal curiosity, when you were founding the companies, you said there's enough of a distinction here that we want to make this a separate company as opposed to a division within the company or a vertical within your company? That's right. Yeah, it's third-party risk is such a unique animal and needs so much focused attention that we wanted to really make sure we spent a lot of time and energy building out that specific vertical. Um, the companies are very closely aligned and we, and we have shared ownership and those types of things, but we did. Yeah, we created separate band, brands for that reason. Okay, very good. All right. So we've already used some terms and I think terms are important, at least they're important to helping me get clarity um, so if you want to define some of these terms and tell me some, some may be the same thing and there may be maybe slight differences. We talk about third party. We use that term a lot. Um, supply chains, business associates, uh, and perhaps any others you can think of. Are these all the same things or are there, are there important distinctions here? Great question. And one that, one that we hear quite a bit. Um, so the, the quick answer is those terms are largely synonymous, uh, particularly in healthcare settings. Um, but um, outside of our industry, it, it can vary a little bit. So, so I'll explain that a bit. So third-party vendors and supply chain, those terms in particular, are used more broadly a, across industries. Um, so while business associate, that, that's a very niche term specific to healthcare. So let me, let me give you a little bit of context for that. So a typical healthcare organization maintains thousands of vendors that support the business. This can range from IT vendors like your electronic health records companies or your data analytics firms down to clinical vendors that provide medical devices or clinical care, all the way to like your outsourced cafeteria and food service companies would all be considered vendors in, in the space. So we refer to that whole vendor ecosystem as the supply chain, quote unquote. The term business associate, however, is a very healthcare specific term that derives from the HIPAA security and privacy rules that designates vendors that store or access protected health information or PHI uh, on behalf of the healthcare organizations or covered entities in, in, in HIPAA mumbo jumbo. Um, but for the purposes of our conversation today, third-party vendors, supply chain, business associates, they all mean the same thing. Okay. All right. That is, that is helpful. Okay. Um, so you've been in this business for a while, the third-party risk. So is it more, uh, what's going on? 
what's going on? Is it more acute now than ever? Uh, and why? Is there a COVID impact on here? Um, your thoughts? Sure. I mean, there there is a ton going on with third-party supply chain risk in healthcare right now. It's be, it's become one of the top, if not the top, cyber risk areas of focus for healthcare organizations this year. And there's there's several reasons for that. It's not just a COVID thing. This has been been percolating for for quite some time. So so just to give you some of the underpinnings of, of where we've come from and where we are. So first thing is healthcare has moved a majority of our critical IT systems from like the basement of the hospital um, now to third party and cloud hosted vendors as part of that whole ongoing digitization of healthcare. Um, I think your audience is predominantly health system CIO, so I don't have to tell them about that, about that part. You guys have all lived that uh, for the last decade plus. Um, however, the problem is that we've become so dependent on these third-party vendors to deliver critical patient care, treatment, operations. And when the vendor has an outage due to ransomware or some other cybersecurity breach, the health system feels the most pain, even more so than the vendor in a lot of ways. And that pain is now much more than just the threat of regulatory noncompliance with HIPAA due to lost or stolen data. We still care about that, right? That's Compliance is, is still a big part of what all healthcare organizations focus on. But these vendor breaches are now impacting our ability to operate, functionally operate and threatening patient safety in the process. So when we start diverting patients or deferring treatment because our systems or our medical devices or other critical vendor supported uh, parts of the ecosystem are unavailable, then people start getting hurt. And then you, you couple that with the fact that we have these just massive supply chain breaches. So your SolarWinds, your Casilla breach, Microsoft Exchange, I can't even like remember them all now that have hit mm-hmm. this year where we have a single vendor breach impacts thousands of healthcare organizations in one swoop, right? So we're seeing a lot more attention on third-party vendor risk from the board level all the way down to uh, management level and, and even the workforce in some ways. However, you know, the situational awareness and just being aware of third-party vendor risk as a problem is, is like every other tricky problem we have in front of us is not enough to solve it. So we're seeing healthcare organizations really struggle with trying to, to tackle this one. And, you know, the reasons why it's such a tough nut to crack has to do with the scale of the problem. You know, if you're a health system, you have hundreds to thousands of vendors, you need to be continually assessing the cybersecurity risks, both at the time of purchase and procurement of the vendor, as well as on an ongoing basis. So most health systems can't keep up can barely keep up with just conducting an initial security review of critical vendors at the time of procurement but they're not able to follow up, make sure those vendors are remediating the things they said they were going to fix or coming back to those vendors over time as their their IT systems evolve and they move to different cloud environments and they start changing their configurations. So um, that's a big part of the challenge. And the other other sort of sticky part of this this challenge is that the vendor assessment process is is frankly way too slow to keep up with the business. And that's on us. That's on the security people, right? The security teams don't have the bandwidth and haven't been allocating the bandwidth or the skills necessarily to keep up with the volume of assessments. And vendors are, are not really eager to, to share their dirty laundry too. So even when you get into the assessment process, you kind of have to pry it out of them of what, what their actual security posture is. And you need to use audit rigor for that. And then you need to hound the vendors to make sure they're actually following through on their commitments to remediate known security weaknesses. So you have thousands of vendors, you have to hound them, you have to chase them down, you have to get the right answers. Um, and what happens is we, we aren't able to keep up with that. And so we end up in this sort of risk blind, as a, as a term I like to use sometimes, um, situation where there, there's foundational erosion happening of, of the IT infrastructure through the third-party businesses. It's almost like you know the hospital and sand. The weaknesses are there. We just don't see them. And we're not looking in the right places or frequently enough. 
And we end up getting blindsided by these vendor breaches and surprised when our critical systems become unavailable and the data is breached. So, um, you know, it, it reminds me a little bit of that whole Miami building that collapsed a little while oh, ago yeah. where, you know, mm-hmm. the cracks were there if we weren't taking the time to look and we didn't take time to do anything about it. And that's, that's, that's how supply chain risk feels to me right now as it's sort of percolating and the more buildings collapse, the more we're starting to pay attention to it. So are we talking about different types of risk from these third parties? Now, for example, um, you could think of risk as being if you're somehow connected or integrated with this other company, some sort of malware could come into your network through them. So that's one, right? That's one Mm -hmm. bucket of risk. Another bucket of risk is this company is critical to our operations. The services they provide are critical to us. And there's risk in if they go down now, right? Because then we don't have that service and it's such an important part of what we do. So there's a risk. Now, that almost breaks into two parts. One being they can have a cyber issue. That could be, but you could go to, that company could go away for any number of reasons. So even years ago, we wanted to make sure any critical third parties were solvent, so to speak, that they didn't go bankrupt, right? So we're just having to be talking in this case of them going away due to a cyber issue. Correct. Correct. So take so that wherever you want it. I'm going to take, I'll take it a few yeah. places. It's, it's a great, it's really important distinction that you've brought up here of the different flavors of risk we, we face. So I'll put them into two big buckets to start. There's your cybersecurity risks, and I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. And that is separate and wholly distinct from your vendor risk traditionally. That could be, like you said, your solvency, your financial risks with the vendor. Um, and those are all still happening. For, for the large part, most healthcare organizations are, are not have a different group of people paying attention to the financial risk mm-hmm. and the vendor risk and that type of side of the house and a different group of folks, usually sort of in, in my uh, you know ilk, that look at the cybersecurity risks. So, and that's starting the conversations start to happen that we're starting to look at risk more holistically, but we're not there yet. The same way we're not there with comparing clinical risk to cyber risk, right? There's still a whole other team that does clinical risk and don't cut off the wrong leg. And then there's us over here that are yeah, yeah. worried about risk. So those, those are merging, but not fast enough in my view. But I, I wanna unpack the cyber risk a little bit more because I think you brought up some good points there. So there's there are the, uh, like you said, the malware type of risk. So we saw that with, with Nuance transcri- Transcription a couple of mm-hmm. years ago, if you recall, they got breached. They got ransomware and they had these open VPN tunnels to every client they had. That was their standard operating model. So all of a sudden the ransomware started jumping over the VPN tunnels to this hospital, that hospital. And not only did we have nuanced transcription services unavailable, which is a legitimate hit to the business in, in terms of operations, but then you've also got to shut down those pipes so the malware doesn't come in and start infecting your organizations. And there were hospitals that sued nuance over that saying, you know, you should have done better. So that's one sort of risk is the vendor is going to bring the icky stuff into your environment. The other is um, data loss. Um, you know, I mentioned we, we, we aren't predominantly or exclusively focused on um, compliance risk with third parties anymore, but we, we still are worried about it because you're, you're sharing, you know, often I see organizations make six, seven, eight copies of their entire electronic health records database and ship it off to a data analytics firm or ship it off to this firm. We just have these copies upon copies with vendors that are often small, you know, less than 20 people in the company that don't have the security rigor and that data gets lost, stolen, breached for a variety of reasons. And now you have a HIPAA and OCR compliance risk. So you've got the compliance risk, you've got the, the sort of malware risk. And then the last one, and certainly not the least, is the availability risk, where at any point, if your vendor's systems become unavailable for ransomware, for 
any kind of IT outage that could be related to cybersecurity issue or could just be an outage due to, to good old uh, negligence and you know those types of things. Um, that's really where I think that's what's ramped up in the last year or two where the businesses are saying, okay, this is a big deal because it's not just like data gets missing and, oh, we'll notify the patients, we'll deal with the OCR, but our systems are, are unavailable and people are getting hurt. Yeah. And you, um, so that's, you, Nuance was a great example. And you mentioned how you had both types of risk in that the, the, because the services weren't available. Um, and I don't know if you want to get this, but we saw this with the ransomware event. Um, I believe it was Asante Health System where they were sort of sponsoring, I forget the terminology of when a larger health system sponsors a smaller hospital to use Epic, they can use their instance of Epic. The smaller hospital got infected with ransomware and there was danger now to the, the larger hospital that was supporting them with Epic. Um, so that's almost like a third party when you take on a hospital in that manner, you're taking on a third party and you really got to look. Have you had any engagements like that where people are asking you to look at the prospective hospital they're considering um, sponsoring is a good term, I think, to use it. Yeah, short answer is yes. And so there's been a ton of merger and acquisition, M&A and A, and merger acquisition mm -hmm. affiliation. That's always sort of, like you said, sponsorship affiliation is yeah, sort of, I think, right. the word that's getting glommed onto these days. Um, we've been doing a ton of work around that because, like you said, they're, they're, the consolidation is happening at lightning speed. Big health systems, medium-sized health systems are either gobbling up the smaller ones or combining forces for lots of good IT and economic reasons. Um, when they do that, you basically are, you know, you're marrying into, you're inheriting this small to mid-size, might be a healthcare provider, might be a doctor's office, might be a specialty practice. And traditionally their security posture is not as good as your, you know, the, the mothership. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've been doing a ton of M&A due diligence. So even before or during, hopefully not after the, <sighs> the marriage happens, but mm -hmm. sometimes after just what is our exposure that we're taking on? Very often they'll still move forward with the, the deal, so to speak, but they'll start putting in mitigation and things like, okay, we're going to segment you off of the network for now until you clean up this mess and then we can turn on the, the VPN tunnels or the, or the network fiber connecting to the hospital and feel like we're going to be in a safe position. So there's a ton of that going on. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, what you think the current practices are for health systems um, as they try and assess third parties that they're going to work with. Um, you know, those vendors have every interest in representing that they have a great security posture. They want the deal. They want the job, so to speak. They want to get hired. So filling out this questionnaire, do you do that or do you? Yeah. Well, we kind of. Yeah. Yeah. You're feeling, you know, it's like any any sale. So and it's different, I was thinking, because I we did a webinar the other day about cyber insurance and that what's going on with that, which is much more difficult than it used to be to get insurance. The questionnaires are much longer. Um, the interviews, the costs are way up. So the interesting thing about that is if you lie as a health system on your application, there are ramifications downstream. You have a breach and it's shown you did not have some sort of measure in place that you said you did. Well, they're not going to pay. So there's plenty of incentive, to be honest, there. Um, so I don't think the same, this quite the same dynamic exists for the vendor filling out that questionnaire. Your thoughts, again, on how it's being done. You mentioned it's too slow. Um, what do you think is going on there? Yeah, it's it's you, you've hit on a really important 
exposure for the way in which third-party risk is handled today. So there's there's what's happening today, and I can give that answer. And then there's like the best practice of what yeah. we should be doing that's happening yeah. at the organizations that have figured it out. So to your point, uh, vendors uh, have every incentive to, to get through procurement, get the sale done, and they will provide answers that, well, I, not, I, I won't claim that they'll outright lie about their security posture, but they will certainly paint as rosy a picture right. as possible, right? And and or they'll and or they'll provide vague responses mm-hmm. that are technically true, but you know not really telling you the whole story. Um, so organizations, so this is the way things are done today. That that sort of gets us in trouble. And this is speaking as a as an ex uh, an ex. I don't know if that's the right thing to do. A former chief information security officer for a hospital. As in, and I worked in a prior life. So. I would get responses back from the vendor that says, I asked them like, do you have, you know, do you encrypt your laptops and portable media? And they say, yes, we're HIPAA compliant. Like, or not even yes, just we're HIPAA compliant. Like, what does that even mean? So now I have to like unpack that. So what, what happens is a lot of organizations today, their teams are sort of running through this checklist questionnaire. They'll get the responses back from the vendor. They'll try their best to make sense of it, but they're not spending enough cycles to go back and clarify those responses with the vendor. And the vendor's counting on that, right? Because they know you're short on team, you're short on time, your pressure from the business wants this thing's approved mm-hmm. just as much as I want the sale. You, I know you wanted to get it through. So they want to give them a reason to check the box. And a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of health, health system security teams, not for lack of desire, but are just saying, okay, that's good enough. They did say they're doing the right thing and that's enough. The, so that's current practice in a lot of shops that just doesn't work. All you're doing then is collecting risk information. It's not risk intelligence and you're not doing anything about it. So all you've done is push paper around at the end of the day, in my view, and wasted everybody's time. So the right way to do it, if you will, one of one of the, the better practices is you've got to have some sort of validation of the vendor's security posture and what they're saying. So there's two ways to go about that. One is, uh, in part, you can require organizations to get a third-party validated cybersecurity certification. The two most prominent ones are High Trust and SOC 2 Type 2, for example, that, that are used by vendors that to say, hey, we got, we've spent the money to get a third party, come in, look at our stuff, validate that we're doing the right things. And then they can pass that certification on to the hospital and say, look, we're doing all the right things. Um, now, that it, there's nuances to that. And that in and of itself is not enough. Like You actually have to look at the SOC 2 report and make sure there's no deficiencies in it and stuff. But that's one way to get some validation. The other way to do it, if vendors aren't able to produce a third-party certification, you need to, to validate the responses they've given you. So um, you know, a couple of ways you can do that is by requesting documentation and evidence on certain key controls. Um, you don't have to look at every single you know, NIST 853-800 control, but pick the ones that matter. Things like ask for a penetration test. Have you done a pen test and show me you know, what the results of that were? Show me your incident response plan. Um, show me your vulnerability and patching management cycle and results. So things that will show me that you're, you're, go, you're are leading indicators of your security program. And so by validating at least a handful of the critical areas, if not you know a, a good subset of them, you can get that sort of true warm and fuzzy feeling that they are doing the right things to, um, uh, to invest in cybersecurity uh, on their side. Have you experienced or, or what would your advice be or can you imagine some scenarios where, so there's the vague answers can happen. Um, is And is there ever pushback in, in any, you know, what's the validation beyond, so you get the questionnaire back. What if you want to validate some of these things? Um, how can that be done? And what if you get pushback on that? Like, hey, we did your questionnaire. You're not 
sort of coming in here and checking out stuff, so to speak. And what are the what are the different? And then what's your reaction to these things? I mean, obviously these are red flags sometimes, or is any of it valid? Is any can you go overboard with doing validation to where they're really like you know you're being unreasonable? Yeah, there's a spectrum for sure, uh, and it's funny how this has played out over the years. Or like I'll say, about ten years ago, when we when we started doing these assessments on mass for the industry. So I've done it as a practitioner previously, um, but a lot of times what we would get in our early days is you'd say the vendor would say, you know what, I don't uh, coral and your customer, I don't need to answer any of this stuff. I don't know who you are. I don't care. We nobody else, the, the the classic answer is nobody ever asked us for this. That was the answer. I mean, for years it was no one's ever asked me for that information. Okay, um, and what would happen is they'd tell us to go, you know, to go go away. And but what's been really exciting and interesting for us is as Coral, we manage hundreds of health systems as our customers. And so we we would then show up the next week on behalf of another customer, another hospital and say, we're back. We still want to see that evidence and that documentation. And so there's sort of a, an economy of scale there where we would actually put pressure on the vendors, say, OK, we're, we're not going away. And then we'd end up with the big vendors that were, I won't name names because that'll get us all in trouble, but some of the biggest vendors that were giving us the most flack because they're big and they can they can muscle their way around all of a sudden they couldn't muscle anymore. And they actually came to us and had us out their corporate facilities and wanted to partner with us. So they, they could show up in the best light and the most transparent way um, with these assessments. And so that's been a big key. And the other factors, like you've got to get this tied to the procurement cycle, right? If you do the assessment and you've got your own leadership on board, your procurement, your legal IT, everybody else involved saying, we don't pass go until this assessment is done and done right. And the vendors provided evidence to our satisfaction, even though that slows things mm. down a little bit, the business and health systems now are saying, we can't live with the risk of this sort of, well, we don't know what risk we're taking on. So um, putting that as part of the contractual requirement, not only at procurement in order to keep going, but also putting contractual SLAs and service level agreements to say, you need to show us on a routine basis that you're still doing these things and keep us up to speed. If not, the contract payment takes a hit, right? Mm. So unless you've got money, unless you've got the contract behind it, or this sort of you know economy of scale thing going on, it is, you're correct. Vendors are, are not eager to participate in the dialogue. Yeah. And you have to, I'm thinking as a health system, you know, you have to have people doing this or, or sort of validating stuff who really care about the risk that's being taken on. Because in the scenario you mentioned about, you send a questionnaire, they give vague answers, they get to check, check their box because that's not the CEO filling out that questionnaire, right? That's a person who does this and they just check their box. I filled it out. I sent it back. Let's see what happens. And on the health system side, you can't have somebody with the same attitude that's going, hey, I was supposed to get this questionnaire filled out. I got it filled out. Check the box. I'm done. Because then nobody's really, you know, taken on that, the, the, the importance or understood the importance of measuring that risk. And that's a bad outcome. Yeah. And I, I can tell you, Anthony, there are organizations still operating that way for sure. And I call it a compliance mindset. It's, it's that right. check the box where they'll say, well, and the classic answer I get is, well, we did the assessment. The vendor gave us responses. We keep them on record. And if there were a breach, we would go back to the vendor and say, ha ha, you know, you, you breached. But at that point, your data is unavailable. Patients are hurt. The risk, the risk is there. Compliance is still down. OCR is still coming. Like what was the point in saying, well, we were right and you were wrong it doesn't matter. It's too late. So yeah, I, I don't think that mindset is effective. And, and it's it's borderline kind of negligent, I think, in a lot of ways of managing truly the risk to the organization. It's different than the insurance scenario I mentioned, where the insurer can say after the fact, oh, we're not paying. 
right? They, 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 they don't have to worry as much about the questionnaire because if you said you had a certain technology in place that you demonstrably did not have, they're not paying. Right. So it's just, it's just different. Um, let's talk a little bit about communicating, um, you know, as CISOs at health systems, what kind of interaction needs to have happen here between the business? When I say the business, I mean the rest of the C-suite and the board. Um, you know, we say CISOs are chief risk officer, right? They need to communicate risk. They're not deciding that this particular vendor is key to the organization. The business has decided this vendor is key. But the CISO can determine risk if this vendor goes down. Uh, and the chances that they'll go down based on these assessments. So that's all got to be communicated so people can make decisions. And then contingency adapt to be put in place, right? So, okay, we use this vendor. They're critical to our operations. We think they have a reasonable risk because they have a good security posture, but nobody's 100%. So someone has to figure out what we do if this entity goes down based on where it is in the business. Like you said, whether it's clinical, business, and that's not the CISO's job per se, right? That's got to be kicked over to the business. Um, but how much of that does the CISO need to be thinking about or involved with? Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic question, and and I'll I'll give you a bit of an anecdote to start here. So I I've been I do board presentations all the time for healthcare boards that want to know what's up with the cyber risk position of our organization. How do we stack up? Historically, those have been ten minute briefs that cover you know the whole gamut of cybersecurity risks. Um, those have turned into, I just did a couple last two weeks, both of them turned into 20, 30, 40 minute conversations about supply chain risk only, you know, just to give you a sense of how right. much appetite there is at that, at that sort of board level down. Um, so in terms of what to, you know, what to report to the executives, um, it's much like other cyber risk areas, right? You need to present information in terms that the business can understand, right? Enough of your technical gobbledygook. Um, you don't want to come up there reporting out on tactical activity or this specific vendor or that specific vendor. I mean, unless you've got a real critical issue, it shouldn't shouldn't rise to that level. Mm -hmm. uh, folks like chief risk, risk officers should be reporting out on the overall performance of the third-party risk program and, and being able to answer some key questions. So things like, how many vendors do we have? How many fall into each criticality tier, right? Mm -hmm. Not all every vendor is created equal in terms of risk. So how do we prioritize which vendors or in which tiers, how many of those critical vendors or high risk, high impact vendors have we assessed? What's the macro level risk of those vendors? Um, where do we have blind spots? And, and what, what can't we see? What, what are we not assessed? How can we drive more visibility? Um, how are vendors doing to, remedi uh, to meet their commitments to remediate, right? We haven't talked about that much. Like assessing is one thing, even a validated assessment and you've checked out the answers, like you still need to push the vendor to commit to, to fixing stuff, right? And then follow up with them, which is a major gap that a lot of organizations miss. Like you've got to have that rigor to just keep going back and hound them. Um, but so reporting back on that as well, you know, how fast are we doing as, uh, assessments? Are they meeting our SLAs? Do we need to increase speed? Do we need to make investments here or there? Um, you know, it's classic. Key performance indicators, key risk indicators, SLAs I mentioned earlier, um, being a big part of it, report out on how vendors are doing against those. And then, you know, the C-level discussion should be about addressing any variance from your targets or from your program objectives and say, this is where this is falling behind. Need some resources for that. I need a technology for this. And, and that's the type of conversation you want to have at that level versus just reporting out tactical movement. I'm thinking how important it is for... Um... CISOs and CIOs to understand the business. I mean, you talked about criticality tiers. 
Well, that's not my determination as a CISO. I need to understand the business. I need to talk to the business leaders. I need to get an idea of where this application fits in terms of what we do. Um, and we did a, a webinar the other day and one of the CISOs said, we talked about um, steps to be taken if someone continually uh, clicks on phishing links or whatever. They keep making mistakes, cybersecurity mistakes. Um, you know, does that person eventually need to be terminated? Because if every time you click on a link, you can bring down the whole health system at some point, you say, listen, you're just not getting it. And the CISO said, and I thought it was a great answer. He says, I communicate that. That's not my decision, whether or not a person needs to be any kind of remediation or termination. I'm here to communicate that to the business owner, to HR. Um, but I just want some, some more of your thoughts about how important it is for security, IT security folks to be truly conversing and understand the business and talking with the business leaders to give them a framework to be able to talk about risk. If you don't understand what these things are doing, or you may be misunderstanding how important something is, or you may misunderstand it and real, not realize how important something is. Your thoughts? Yeah, we, we have to be a partner to the business. We need to be, the reason why security officers are at the table more than ever before, meaning at that board table and at the, at the governance groups is because we need to be listening more than we have historically. We, again, we've been in the basement with our bits mm -hmm. and bytes and our propellers on our heads and doing that stuff, <laughs> you know, but now it's, we're at the table listening to the business challenges and being able to actively listen and weigh in on how cyber risks are impacting what the, what the organization is trying to do. So part of it is just being aware and knowledgeable of the business as, as you alluded to. But the other piece is, is around the communication and the translation. We need to be, um, the professionals that we are to tee up and make recommendations on what to do next. You know, you can't just say, yeah. here's puke out all the risks and say, what do you, what do you want to do business? Like, I don't know if you've ever had people report to you. Like if I have somebody reports to me and, and points out problems and doesn't come up with giving me options A, B, and C and their recommendation on which one, like I send them back, yes, <laughs> go, go try again. 100%. I think it's the same thing. Don't come up without some recommendations and be willing to let that recommendation move depending on the conversation, but have a perspective that's well-informed in the business and also informed by our own expertise in the cyberspace, which it is a very, you know, nuanced thing. It's difficult. It's a, it's a, it's a techie jargony, techie focused thing, but we've got to pull it out of that into business terms and have a conversation at the business level. And so, those, I mean, think that's where CISOs and CISOs, that's where they're heading, the, the good mm -hmm. ones. And, and I think that's going to continue to be the case. All right, very good. Just a little, um, back to the certifications that you mentioned, high trust SOC two. I mean, that seems these type of things seems to be quite helpful uh, because you've got that third party stamp, um, and you do tons of assessments. Are are you looking at getting into that type of work where you provide your own stamp so that you know there's another entity out there? Um, you mentioned there's there's limitations with the other two. Is there is there an opportunity? I would imagine CIOs and CISOs would love th more third-party stamps they could trust. Yeah, one, it's a good point. I mean, it's not enough right now. The certification, SOC 2 High Trust, there's about, numbers vary, about 20 to 22% of vendors are carrying those right now. And that number is growing pretty aggressively. But that's 80% of vendors that don't have anything on paper, then you got to dig it out. So that's just, again, scale. We're going to keep talking about this problem as a scale problem. So one of the things that, that we've, come up with again we've just been doing this hundreds of organizations you know decade plus of doing nothing but this we've learned that 
we need to do a couple of things. We need to increase the speed at which these assessments happen um, and get, get the accurate, valid, validated risk data to the right people as quickly as possible so that the, the procurement goes through, the sale goes through, um, and, and business continues as usual. And we stop becoming the bottleneck. And so absent a certification, if the vendors don't have that, you're, you're, you have to do a full assessment. So one of the things that we've, we've developed and we've been working on at Coral in particular is this sort of clearinghouse idea where we've, we've assessed over 80,000 healthcare vendors already for their cybersecurity posture. It may, it's insane that every single health system is going to every vendor one at a time and assessing them. And then every vendor is getting hit. Like, like if you just look at the macro, pro, like it's ridiculous the way we're doing this as an industry. So we said, look, we've already assessed these vendors. Let's take that data and let's um, reuse it and reapply it and say, vendor, you just answered those same questions or something very similar to it for hospital A. Do you want to reuse that for hospital B in this technology and just click yes and send it across? And that is that is the system that's going to sort of grease the, the skids of this entire process. And so we've developed kind of a clearinghouse where um, vendors can actually pre, pre-audit if they want to, but otherwise we're going to hit them in, in due course from one or more hospitals, get them assessed, keep their data, and then allow them to reuse that over time and basically create that kind of um, central point, almost like, like TSA pre-check, right? When you go to the, mm-hmm. sit in the, the airport line, right? You've already been pre-cleared. So go ahead, right? We've done your due mm-hmm. diligence on, on Anthony, the, the flight traveler, mm-hmm. the frequent traveler. Um, it's kind of like that where Coral becomes sort of the, the pre-vetting. You've already been through us. We can might validate, just make sure everything looks good and then send it through. Um, and so that's what we're really excited about, kind of changing the whole paradigm to reuse that data. Um, and we because we've already assessed, I don't want to say all the vendors, but 80,000 vendors is a whole heck of a lot mm-hmm. um, in, for healthcare specifically. Um, that's really what's allowing us to do that at, at lightning speed and, and have that trusted validation done almost ahead of time or, or, or at least very, very quickly relative to the traditional models. And as you said, that, that would have to be done uh, at certain intervals, you, annually or something, because it's uh, what you're talking about is just a snapshot in time and you want to make sure they're continuing to have good security practices, right? Well, what's interesting though, yeah, yeah, what's interesting though, is we like that's for hospital A, but then hospital B comes back two weeks later and wants to see that same vendor. Hospital C comes back a month later. So actually the data ends up being fresh because we keep coming back and saying, vendor, does this still look good? And they'll say, oh no, no, we don't. That was a, that was a week ago. Now we have a whole new platform, you know, we rolled out something completely different and they can update their answers. And that's how it just stays alive, which really helps. All right. Um, uh, we're about out of time. Do you have any final thoughts for our CIOs and CISOs uh, about third-party risk? Um, what do you think is the, the common mindset here, or the common situation, uh, and what's your best advice? Are they getting it? Are they, are they freaking out out there about it? Uh, they, you know, I mean, you, like you mentioned, you could have hundreds, hundreds, I don't know, thousands maybe, but certainly hundreds of third parties. And um, that criticality buckets, the criticality tiers is, you know, I'm sure the prevalent concept uh, and those in the top criticality, uh, maybe just give advice for those. What do you want to do with those top criti- criticality third parties? Uh, what's your advice? Sure. Uh, but I'll, I'll frame it a little bit differently because okay. just paying attention to your critical vendors is part of one of the missteps that we've done as an industry. Okay. Um, so yes, pay attention to them for those critical vendors Make sure they have a third-party certification. There's no excuse for them not to be doing, making the spend on their side to, to yeah. invest in security. Why do I have to do all your work and audit you, you know, right, every time? Right. Go, go do it. Um, and you want to do them on, a, you know, you want to check back with, with them annually, your critical vendors. Mm-hmm. 
for your sort of mid-tier or smaller tier vendors, you may not want to go as frequently on the assessment. You may want to look at them at procurement maybe two years later. You might want to do a lighter assessment, um, looking at just the top 20 critical controls or things that are most important to you. So you can, you can sort of scale to make sure you get some visibility. What you don't want to do is ignore those small vendors because 80% of vendors are small, less than 50 people and have no security leader or no security program, right? So those are the ones that are posing a lot of the quote unquote supply chain risks. So make sure you're getting some degree of visibility on those folks in addition to your critical tier vendors. And I think just in terms of closing thoughts, like, you know, if you aren't investing in your third-party risk program actively right now, and you're still doing the status quo, and you're sending out your questionnaire with just that, you know, half an FTE you have in house or whatever, mm-hmm. you are falling behind, and and this is it's going to bite you sooner than later. And I don't like doing the sky is falling thing, and I think there's always mm-hmm. context to all this, but this is an area where um, the risks are mounting faster than we can keep up, even for those that are putting automation and technology and this data reuse to all this stuff. We're still having trouble keeping up. If you're not doing any of that stuff, you're falling behind so fast that that it's just a matter of time before you get bit by one of these. So, um, so my recommendation is get some get smart on the um, the problem and the options out there, and and look to make some investments either in your team or your process or the tech or maybe a little bit of all. I mean, it makes perfect sense as your risks are mounting as a health system, as any organization, because the environment, the global environment, the risk is going up. Why would you think anything different is happening with all these vendors you're using, especially the the smaller ones? So it's that's right. It's common sense. Right. That's right. All right. Brian, thank you uh, so much for your time. I think that was a really great interview with lots of good information. So I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Matter.